This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you once again. Kyle Nash joining us here on this show uh, on what is a... Uh, well, it was a it was a bittersweet first round weekend for UCF women's basketball. They get they break so many barriers in that first game and come so close to beating UConn in stores and reaching the Sweet Sixteen in a uh, in in uh, a game that. Well, you know what? We'll ask. We'll we'll compare that to men's basketball from three years ago. Oh God, let's not let's not do no, that. I think come it's, on, now. it's fair. That to is ridiculous. Let's not on the on the anniversary. I'm not done with the intro well, yet. No, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna insult the Duke UCF game by comparing what we watched WrestleMania on Monday night. All right, let's. We will talk was about a, that. that was a we, will talk about, oh, uh, we will talk about. We will talk about some oh. men's basketball news. Isaiah Adams announcing that he's going to transfer out of UCF's program. Um, uh, we'll talk about the effect on the effect that that will have on UCF. We will also. Uh, catch you up on all the different sports uh, with Bryson Turner and Eric Lopez. Our second segment is going to be all you and me because we're going to preview this massive USF softball series coming. The up. rivalry, the un- the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a wild weekend. It's going to be a, it's going to be a don't big ruin weekend. it, Eric Burris. It better be played. <laughs> all right. But first, let's get let's get the student of the game up in here, Kyle Nash, to talk about UCF women's hoops. Uh, the uh, first of all, let's start with the good. First round game against Florida took care of business uh, in that seven ten. Um, the Knights get their first ever victory uh, in the NCAA tournament over the Gators, sixty nine fifty two, in a game where they really got out rebounded pretty pretty heavy in this game and still ju- and, and just just curb stomped Florida in the end. I thought it was I, I thought that was a lot of fun to watch. And that set up the game with UConn. Uh a game that was uh, I, you know it, it you got off to that great start in the first quarter at 18 to 12 and then you score 12 points in the middle two quarters and still have a shot. It was looking bleak there uh, uh for a while Kyle down 12 and then the the last second run happens and UCF gets within I believe what was it four three three got within one basket at the end of the game before just the 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 misses at the foul line they just couldn't they could not overcome um and that was the end of the season 52 to 47 um, you know, we saw the players and the coaches welcomed back uh, at the venue the day after. It was uh, it was bittersweet to say the least because you know this team was good enough. This was a Sweet Sixteen team. I really do believe that. I will I will uh, I will die on that hill. Um, it's just that they got they got put in a crappy bracket with UConn, and um, you know this this would have been a good Elite Eight matchup. Wouldn't it have been, Kyle? I think, yeah, no, I think, so l- let me put it this way. Jeff, there's a lot of hills you die on that don't make any sense to me. Powder blue is a terrible color. I still <laughs> hey, man, don't- 
I'll die on that hill too, but carry on. However, as far as hills to die on go, sir, you it would practically be a mass grave, my friend. There are many people who will believe and agree with you right along with that. First of all, I got to protect my guy, Eric Burris, who I marched with at UCF. He's just the messenger, Eric. Leave him alone. And second, um, I'll put it to you this way, man. When I got the coach up there railing on how bad the bracket placement was, not just for her team, but her opponent as well. Listen, if you're going to have one person die on a hill with you, Coach Abe's a good one there to have, Jeff. That's why you definitely got to be led to slide, whether I agree with you or not, which, oh, by the way, I happen to. The point's already been made about Florida teams playing each other um, in the first bracket. Bothers me a little less because there were so many of them, six teams. It's statistically more. Yeah, they just so happen to pair four of them up together. What a coincidence. Hey, you know, let's just fly them together. You know, Elo needs a hug and I'm here for you. We'll get into We'll we'll get into the NCAA. We'll get into the NCAA later. Eric, you'll have your Eric, you'll have your chance to flame the NCAA in a second. I got my popcorn right down here to watch it. It's all good. Uh, (laughs) And listen, you know, you mentioned a couple things. (laughs) You mentioned a couple things. Uh, Jeff, that I want to address, too. So you mentioned something about getting out-rebounded a bit by Florida. Um, well, here's the thing. If you're getting to the foul line, you don't have the opportunity to snag a rebound. And in that game, UCF did a pretty good job getting to the line and making their shots. Um, mm-hmm. Conversely, in the UConn game, that didn't happen. You addressed that. They got to the line. They didn't make anything. And I'm going to say this right out the gate. It was addressed uh, by Coach Abe as something that affected both sides. She's absolutely right. Say what you will about UCF getting calls. Um, UConn had two players foul out. Those two post players uh, fouling out was certainly a big part of the push uh, to get so close in the fourth yeah. quarter as they did. And, you know, UConn did the same thing, taking advantage of uh, Brittany Smith, Masani Kamba, and Destiny Thomas all seeing some sort of foul trouble throughout that second and third quarter area. So, you know, it happened. Both teams took advantage. I think that's why you kind of hide that slide whistle of a, of a lead throughout the game. Um, you know, one minute. But they overcame that. They did. Well, both both teams overcame a pretty big lead yeah. if you look at it. And here's the thing. Listen, we addressed the free throws. Here's the difference, gentlemen. I'll get specific with it. If you miss half your three fro- free throws, that's 10 points you left on the thing. But let's say they make half of them, and that, that's five points. Suddenly, it's an overtime game. A. B. In the second half, we could talk about UConn being juggernauts and all this all we want, and UCF only scoring, air quotes, 12 points in the second and third quarter because that's what happened. However, what isn't being remembered is how many field goals UConn actually scored. It was like two, I believe, in the yeah. entire second quarter. Two, they were not, two for seven in the second quarter. Nine free throw points, nine points in the second quarter, yeah. um, all on free throws. Now, you can gripe about the officiating all you want. There's plenty to gripe about. I heard Eric say something about WrestleMania. Well, there was certainly a lot of acting going on that was about on par with it. Let's put it this way. That's what I'm saying, bro. Hey, we were in the state of Connecticut. That's where WWE headquarters are, man. I'm just saying. Great point by you. And hey, listen, at this point, John Cena is certainly a better actor than some of these ladies. I mean, he worked opposite Idris Elba and is now the head of the series, okay? These ladies need a lot more acting practice if they want their own series. Say that as you will, though. Um, The situation is thus that if you make your foul shots when you get there, yeah, 
all of that is done, the academy isn't involved, then you're uh, into the next round. So even over above all the talk of stuff they can't control with um, if they're in a different bracket, or maybe the refs would have called more weird lane violations too. Like, hey. Well, that was that was I, I, I was I, I have this on Dan Forcella. To his credit, reached out to me. He said that was that was a correct call because she because Britney Smith. That's the one that everyone's kind of looking at. And I and I initially I didn't know that was a Are rule. They calling it a double clutch? They called it a double clutch. All right. I mean, I, I can. And Connecticut's bench. Connecticut Gino and from what I was told from people that were there, Gino and the Connecticut bench yelled that that exactly that, and okay. that got the refs' attention well, because but, they always listen to what Gino has to say. Okay, because they God didn't forbid, need Gino's attention to call that. No, I'm no. I'm, here's where here's where I disagree with Dan. If that's the if that you flip that, they're not calling that on UConn. They're not calling that on UConn at all. That never I gets disagree, called. I disagree. It never I gets that's, called. That's that's a, that's a. When have you seen it called? A, where have you seen it called? It never gets first, called. That was the first time happens. I've ever seen it called because that's in the that first game. time. That's the first time I've ever I, seen it's it. It's happened happen. in other games. It's I've never happened seen in other happen games, in other, no, especially in the men's. Here's the, here's the bottom line. In today's, we record this. It's the anniversary of one of the greatest college basketball games ever played, and UCF Duke. Brian Murphy, shout out to you. He was in attendance. Says it's the greatest sporting event he's ever covered. And yet, UCF, you felt pain. It was a painful experience, if you're a UCF fan, with the way the game ended. They this game... Won. Should have won. This game was the complete opposite. This was a train wreck. It was an awful officiated game. It was a poorly played game. It was a poorly broadcasted game. And if you UCF, you feel great. You feel great. It was fantastic. It was the best case scenario. You ugly up the game. You mucked it up. You kept it competitive. And you feel good about yourself. That's the takeaway. You were never going to win this game. It was never going to happen. I disagree. Women's basketball disagree. needs. It was never going disagree. to happen. Disagree. UConn it, it, you, always it was, was it going was to win this. Right. Game. It, it was never, right. never, never it had a shot. Right did they ever lead? There. Did they? Did they ever lead? Did they yes. ever lead in the game? No. Yes. No. They, not, not in the second half. Not in the second half. They never Eric, led. You're okay. backtracking. They were again. never going to win this game. This was always going to be a UConn win because they need UConn to advance. No sport is more desperate not... to need a team than UConn. Where is okay, the wait, sweet wait, 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 wait. Are you saying? Are you that? saying? Hang on a second, Eric Lopez. Are you saying the game was fixed? I'm saying the the, the refs always yes favor UConn no. in that building. Were you say, are, I would you, say, are you saying the game was fixed? I'm saying that they were going to get the calls no matter what because they are always you, do. You're not you know answering who, my wait, wait, question. Wait, wait, wait. Don't take you're my word. Don't my take question. my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Let's play the clip. Play Coach Abe after the game right now. I told him, keep your head up. You are warriors. You are a great team. You deserved Sorry, a better place to go play. Why would they brought us back up here? And I love—I mean, I, I think this is a great program. But I don't know why we had to come back and play them again for the sixth time, the seventh time, the hundredth time. Like it's just so you know. Maybe if we were at any different place, we could have maybe advanced. I mean, I don't think anybody in the country wanted to come here and play in the NCAA tournament. So I mean, neither did I. But we fought, and you know, to me, we're, it, we're just as just as good of a team as, as they are. So she agreed with me. <laughs> Thank you, that coach. Abe. Thank you for being honest. If they were in any other regional, they would have had a shot, but she knew she okay, knew but that's, but they that, were but up against that's, 
also because <laughs> but that's also because they were they were stuck in a region with a team that had Paige Becker's not gotten hurt. UConn is a one seed. I'm convinced of that. Gentlemen, I need to throw a quick timeout in here. And 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 Elo, you're well meaning, and there is some element of truth to what you're saying. But to say they didn't have a shot at all after nope, the- never had a shot. Excuse me. After they busted. The refs were the- never gonna the- give them a shot. The- they were the never. Don't shoot free throws, Elo. If they make did they get wait wait wait, wait. Their who got the big who predicted no the who number predicted? Kill you here did I not okay no no I agree I agree I agree that they can't play at the end of the day you got to make your free throws however did I not say the before game. the game did I not say Kyle that Brittany Smith and Cabo are going to get in foul trouble did I not say that you were why is that it, sir don't put yourself on the island up in this piece the refs oh, were going to make sure it made sense that Desto got in foul trouble but they had two big right. foul out. Okay, at some point, oh, I agree. Thousand. I agree. I agree. Do not take I agree. away. I agree. Do not take away from these ladies the butt that they did kick and the effort they made by saying it was an inevitable. Oh, they played hard. They played because they made oh, it possible. But it was inevitable. No, it wasn't. They it made it competitive. They made it competitive. They made it competitive. I'm sorry. Did they not advance? Did they not win? If they okay, made free- where if is the Sweet Sixteen free- regional free- held? Okay, okay. Is six more than five, Elo? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but that's, I mean, what is it's bracketed percent, also, by the way. Let's, let's. 60% of 10, Elo, six, right? I would have, and then UConn would have probably found six more free throws. That's probably what would have okay. happened. Okay. Well, now. Where is the Sweet 16 being held at? Where is the Sweet. Where is UConn playing this weekend? I, we, we, and it's the ESPN headquarters. I'm school, muting right? you, Eric. I get all that. It's the ESPN. All all the stuff that 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 was an impact on this game surely was. You're you're arguing the wrong point, brother. You're hitting things I already agree with you on. But the end of the but at the end of the day, that's my hyped up uh, hypel uh, impression from the one and other show. But at the that. end of the day, I love that. Um, they could have gone one and zero. No, um, but <laughs> the opportunity that was there, gentlemen, impossible. Listen, I felt the same way before the game. But the ladies made it, maybe not probable, but the long shot was there. And you have to give them that credit because they deserve it. Oh, they out-hustled him. They outworked him. They outplayed him in a lot of ways. I think they outcoached him in a lot of ways. Um, that's they, did everything, they did everything perfectly, except offensively they didn't move the basketball. To your point, Kyle, let's get to the ba- X's and O's. They didn't move the basketball as crisp as they normally do. They were little, they kind of played that's, to kind that, of shorten the game. I, with see, the I, shot I, this clock. is where I disagree with the both of you because uh, what a shock. UConn, right. because right. the reason why they, we couldn't move the ball very well is because UConn's an incredible defensive team. They are not well, just big, they the are pro- fast right. and they are long. They get into passing lanes. They are the best team in the country at getting into passing lanes. There's a reason Geno recruits the way that he does is because everybody on that team is long and big and there are hands everywhere. Oh, yeah, he's got McDonald blue chippers. He better. <laughs> he better blue chippers. But, that, but that's I mean, but that's that's why. I mean, it's we're saying, oh, UCF didn't move the ball as though it was. Yeah, but you still ball. have to move the basketball. You can't just play afraid. You it's can't play just, tentative. Oh, I, I think no. You, there, if there's one thing you cannot accuse UCF of doing in this game, it's playing afraid. It no, I think way they played is conservative. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, they're th- what, 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 listen, your point is great about length and all that. I was sure they had Brittany Buckets neutralized in the first half, and they did, and then she came alive. Okay. Um, 
It's it's more I think where I think more people needed to move to the ball. And frankly, I felt that way a lot. There's just some times where there's some iffy passes that they could get away with in other places. You're not getting away with it with no, this group. And that yeah, you're yeah. correct, Jeff, 100%. But if you move to the basketball and help the point guard out in delivering the ball, or if it's Destiny Thomas at the top, um, who they norm- normally use for a reset to find somebody, you know, they definitely trying to uh, – I'll bring up Vlade Divas because he's an element of important in both teams here. For those who Speaking of flopper. Speaking of flopper. Hey, don't kill the damn punchline, Elo. I'm telling the story. <laughs> but, yeah, Elo's right. For the UConn side, he was definitely flopping. For the UCF side, bigs were making crisp passes to get them back in the game in that long stretch. All right. Yeah. T. Sanders had 10 points. Three of them was what made that fourth uh fourth quarter um run come alive, getting a pass from Masani Kaba, right? Destiny Thomas is usually used as the reset player in a pass and distribute to reset the play. And it usually leads to points when people move to her to give her an opportunity to distribute the basketball. Um, yeah, and, and Flopper was where I was going to go with UConn. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. You're, you're completely right. I was just mad you killed the punchline. <laughs> I, I think I think the stretch that that hurts. Like everyone looks at that free throw that that Britt got. She uh, what did she do? Did she miss it oh, and gosh. then got called for the violation? No, she made that. That's no, she made the first one. But um, oh, no, I'm sorry, she missed the first one, but missed made the first the one. Flight. Then made the second one, but got called for the violation, which would have made it a two point game. That wasn't the stretch that hurt. What hurt was at 3:04 left in the fourth quarter. Britt made a jumper to make it 48-43. Mm-hmm. And then UCF held UConn to four consecutive stops. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going. And couldn't get a bucket on the other end. Including an in and out from Mossinen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was miss jumper by Britt in the paint. Two missed free throws by, by Britt. And then an offensive rebound by Tay. And then she missed the layup. Mm-hmm. Um, miss jumper by Moss with under two minutes to go. That's the end um, I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and it's like, ah, I mean, it was right. And listen, credit to UConn, you know, that it's, it's not like those shots were wide open. Right. But. Oh yeah. You, Paige, you, 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 you just, you just don't hold UConn empty on four straight trips in the fourth quarter of a game. I don't think anyone here is arguing that UConn is a bad basketball team either. Listen, Paige. No, they're not. Uh, Paige uh, Bukers hit a, hit a three with, I think it was like, um, I want to say 11 minutes left or something that could very well, or they would put them up by 11. I forget the exact time that, that we thought uh, talking in our text might've been the dagger. We were wrong. Um, oh, she hit, well, it wasn't a three. She had a two that made it a 12 point game, 48, 36, oh, maybe four fifty two left. You're probably thinking of when Kristen Williams hit a three to make it 44, 33 with seven well, maybe, and a half. No, it was Paige that made the shot. Maybe she stepped on the line, but the punchline is this. Yeah. Like, yeah. They really, it was a long two. It was yeah, a long two. To, and give Kristen, uh, uh, give, give Kristen her credit. Um, you know, I believe she was the one that dished the no look pass. Um, if it wasn't, um, yeah. FUD, I forget which one of the two was, but the I no forget. look pass was beautiful. Uh, and it, it, was, it, you know, it was FUD who made the, who made the steal and the, or actually it was Nelson and Dota who got the assist on that, on that jumper. But anyway, Anyways, no, I'm, I'll talk about a different play, but there's a no-look pass for a layup that was also absolutely beautiful. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, UConn is a competent basketball team. It's not, Let's not say they didn't earn anything, but to Eric's credit, when you're already that much of a juggernaut, you're at home essentially because people can't write brackets worth of crud, and I know they could, they should have been a one because injuries 
yeah, okay, great. Who else gets that allowance to Eric's point? And then, oh, by the way, you are happen you're also in the home th- uh, state of the, the the worldwide leader and everything, every else that's the center. You're in a state where they care about the sport. You have 14,000 people. You can make money off of these people. The oh, by the, the, the way, basketball world. they're going to be hosting the Sweet 16, even though they're a two seed. They're hosting in Bridgeport. That's a joke. That isn't a travesty. Uh, but a it's going to stick stay that way. Combined, a tra- yeah. a tra- I like that. A Travis and mockery. What was that? A mockery is what it is. It's a, it's a joke. That's why women's basketball will never be taken seriously because it's it's the UConn Invitational. They're always going to benefit UConn. Just like, by the way, Mike Krzyzewski and Duke is going to get calls from here on out. Refs <laughs> are influenced in no other sport more than college basketball by coaches. That's a fact. That's not doesn't mean it's rigged. It just means they favor big name coaches. And Gino is at the top of that list. This is his sport. It's his rules. And until he retires, it's going to stay that way because they went back to on campus. Because Kyle, I know you have a problem with being on campus for the first two rounds, correct? Um. Yeah, I'm, well, I'll put it this way. Being on, on campus is easier for me if it's possible. But no, um, it, yeah, it being a home, a home uh, affair in that case is absolutely ridiculous, if I'm answering your question. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because Mark Daniels asked Terry Mahajer that very question on the beat of sports on Tuesday. And Terry Mahajer had an interesting answer. Here it is. What a definition of irony. Yeah, I used to be on the cha- I used to be the on the championships cabinet uh, for the NCAA, and I was a big advocate for moving the first and second round back to campuses. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, my wife said the same thing to me. Well, shouldn't they be at neutral sites? The reason why we did that at the time we started looking at cost of the NCAA. Yeah. And the women's basketball tournament was costing about $20 million a year. And a lot of it had to do with neutral site, first and second round neutral site uh, games. And there wasn't any attendance at those games. And so um, I was one of the uh, a group of people on this committee. On the, uh, the, the, it's no longer exists anymore, but it's called the NCAA Championships Cabinet uh, that you basically uh, kind of governed all the championships. And we thought it would be better to go back to campuses give the high seeds because um, it was it was done it was done that way in the 90s and we had a lot of good attendance and teams would make money schools would make money and it wasn't a huge uh, you know uh, cost for the NCAA and it gave the higher seeds an advantage to play at home just kind of like conference tournaments in football you know so um, but at the end of the day um you know, um, you, you fast forward, you know, eight, nine years later, and then, then it affects you, and you start thinking, well, maybe a neutral side would be good. But, again, if you play that game in, let's just say, Kansas City, you're not going to have the, the no. atmosphere no. That, that you have there. So, I mean, it, it, it works both ways. And, and when we get to the point where we're a high enough seat and we, are, we will get to there, we're going to have a great atmosphere in our place, and we're going to we're going to reap the benefits of that decision. So that was Terry Mahajer, who was part of the committee that approved and pushed for the women's basketball tournament to be moved back to on campus for the first couple of rounds because they were losing a ton of money when they were on neutral courts because there was nobody in the building. Ironic. <laughs> That's a big twelve. Well, by the way, yeah. I I mean, 
Now, so I don't think that's going to change. To his point, well, no, it's not going to change because, well, let's be, well, our I think our point of views are a little skewed on that one because, as you know, Eric, it's like that in every sport except men's basketball, right? Right, because people care. First people rounds men's basketball is popular, right? Right, so, and even men's basketball has quietly. Like Duke got to play in their backyard in Greenville, South Carolina. That's a drive. Like Gonzaga's playing, for example, in Portland the first couple rounds. So even the men's has kind of done a little bit yeah. of a pod system. I'm okay with it. You got to reward higher seeds to reward them. Otherwise, the regular season's pointless. Um, but they but do look, get a reward playing lesser po- teams. But anyway, that's yeah. True. Tell that to Gonzaga had to play M- M- Memphis in the first round, or Baylor had to play North Carolina. Oh, um, <laughs> you know. Speaking of back. And officiating the men's side is just as bad officiating good lord get some clues officials uh they're a rule book um you clowns anyway but here's the bottom line you guys look they played hard you could say they had a chance but mark daniels and i have had this experience mark daniels has had this experience in tallahassee i've had this experience in softball in tallahassee and gainesville you're not gonna get the benefit of the doubt in by the officials in those games why because these officials want to work marquee events. Why? Because if they work at UConn and they do well, they get paid more money. They get paid more money in these regions. That's how this works. And until that gets fixed, the obscurity of the officiating going to, in favor of a certain schools ain't going to change. And that's why UCF was never going to have a shot to win this game. Well, it, there's plenty to that. But but I, again, I feel like I have to make this point more clear. Jeff, it, guys, offhand, I, I'm I'm forgot to look it up and i i can't do it offhand here during the pod do either of you have a good handle on what uh the ucf women's free throw percentage generally is i 70 percent for the season 70 percent 70 percent for the season so you're telling me but they did have not go ahead go ahead oh i'm sorry i was gonna say they had they they had nine nine games where they shot 60 percent or worse including the Tennessee game that you covered where they shot under 50%. Okay, right. but, let's, but, but, but I think, uh, let me, let me take what Kyle's point is saying. If they, if they shot their season percentage of 70%, that's four more points on the board, right? I mean, sure. I mean, if they don't turn the ball over less, you know, they win. I mean, that's a lot of ifs, but yeah. that's sports. Well, I mean, you could, it's you a lot harder same- shooting a free throw. It's a lot yeah. harder shooting free throws in the second round in front of 10,000 people that are cussing you out like those classless UConn fans were <laughs> than shooting in, in November, you know, against, you know, Princeton or whoever, like scrub, scrub a you. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't mean had a pretty good scoring defense this year, by the way, but carry on. I don't mean to 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 comment on you clutching your pearls there, Eric, but uh, that has happened at other student sections as well, um, ours included. That being said, um, no, man. And listen, this isn't me taking away from your point of all the stuff they had stacked against them, because at the end of the day, gentlemen, say what you will. The fact that a win was even in reach mathematically, statistically, whatever you want to call the point that I'm making is something that is yet another element of history that this team has made. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I don't disagree with that, sure. but I'm thinking I feel for Coach A because I think Coach A knows deep all? down. Yeah. If they're in Waco, Texas, they they, they play Baylor, who lost to South Dakota. If I'm Abe, I'm like, are you kidding me? South Dakota beat Baylor? We could have beaten Baylor. That's the thing. I'm convinced UCF could have beaten Baylor by double digits. What about Tennessee? A game they almost lost theirs. They almost lost to Belmont on their home floor. 
Tell Tennessee us. was a four. Iowa lost to Creighton. LSU lost to Ohio State. That's what frustrates A because she she did say in the presser, guys, this might be the best UCF team they ever have. Like it's not that easy to build this up when you consider the extra year with COVID and all that. I'm not saying they're not going to be good next year or beyond, but her point is this is a unique team. It is. It's the greatest team they've ever had. And I think she just, man, we could have been a Sweet 16 team if they sent us anywhere but this place, which it was funny. I talked to somebody close to the program before the select on Selection Sunday. We said either UCF or USF was going to get sent there, and they were because the committee are a bunch of smucks. And that's why I owe an apology to you, Kyle, and all of you bowl people, which I have been critical of. I will now refrain. I want to keep the bowl system. I don't want a playoff expansion anymore because clearly these committees have no clue how to pick, make selections. So props to Bolpe because you treat the media correctly, unlike the NCAA does. Oh my God. Why, thank you for that. Really I apologize. That, that, does, that does make you feel Yeah, I have, go. I have two questions. Um, <laughs> I, I think I know the answer to the first one. This is the greatest UCF women's basketball team of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's close. It's close. Let's, let's talk about 26 and 4. 14 and one in the conference. Um, won, won the double. Um, first time that's happened since 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any. I mean, what other team comes close? Probably that 99 team, but that was in the A Sun. You have um, you have plenty. Of no, 19. People, probably the 19 team is pretty good. You have plenty of credible people who agree with you because the following people answered thus when I said, "Hey, can I use the word iconic?" Masani Kaba, mm-hmm. Diamond Battles, mm-hmm. A. Sanders, Brittany Smith, and the one who is least likely to agree with this, but did, Coach Katie Abrahamson Henderson. Yeah. Now let me ask you that. Now I'm going to ask you, you this. Let's start with the players. Who do we know is gone? Who do we know is coming back? Diamond Battles, I think, has now she is. That returning. is official. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's ironclad. Diamond's back. Right. All right. So we know who I, I I already forget who walked on senior day. I know Britt did. Britt did walk. She's uh, she's on the fence uh, 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 from what I yeah. hear, but she I'm, wants to become a nurse. I know, and that and listen, my wife's a nurse. That's my hard too. What was for <laughs> forty years? I guess. Yes. <laughs> so like like if Britt wants to, wants to you know if she wants to dive in, she wants to call back call it call it a day in basketball and go into nursing. God bless her. Go for it. We need more nurses. Hey, I'll give her my um, mom's number if she needs some tips. I'll be like, hey, yeah. help Brittany buckets out. Come on, right? Yeah. My wife as well. Right. Um, you know, so so Britt, if you're listening, yes. Um, I'm looking at the roster right now, um, uh, and I'm trying to arrange it by. My computer's always slow when it looks at this roster for some. It's reason. always a reminder, though. Last week we went through this with the men, and since then four players left. So, well, but in this era, who knows? Well, I mean, some of them are expected, some of them weren't. We'll get to that in the, in the last segment. But here's your here's your fifth years and se- and seniors. Now, Tay Sanders, Tay's Tay's done, right? Right, she's right. done. Yeah. Uh, Moss is done. Yep. Becca Ripley's done, although she was a she was a bench contributor. Um, uh, Alicia Lewis is listed as a junior. Is she coming back? Um, 
I'll put it this way. There's no reason for me to believe she's leaving. I've counted her as coming back so far. Okay. Um, we've not really got mu had much an opportunity to talk to Lish one-on-one, -on -one, so I couldn't re can't really make a read. But there's no good reason for her to leave at this point, I would dare say. She was a huge con contributor, and frankly, they'll need her as leadership for the developing group, I would say. Yeah. Janaea Walker uh, did not play this year because of an injury. She's listed as a fifth year. I'm guessing she's redshirting. Is that right? Um, I've, I've not heard, but not that makes sense. Okay. Um, the other red shirt seniors or seniors listed on, obviously Brits is listed as a senior. Mm -hmm. Um, Neela Luma, who got nine minutes of work because of the foul trouble in the Yukon game. And I thought actually held, held the tide back pretty well Excellent. in that game, uh, is listed as a red shirt senior. Um, I don't think she walked on senior day. Uh, Luma. No, I did not see her on. Okay. Senior. And then, uh, so she might have a COVID year still lined up. And then, Shan and then Shania Mertens, who um, was a really good defensive player. I, I don't think that 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 was talked about enough in that in that two guard slot. Um, so an essential reason in, in beating Florida down because they 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 dared her to shoot and do things and like to to try to cover up UCF's uh, star players and like yeah. oh I can do that you know so between assists. And her points, she had double-digit contribution in the Florida game, for sure. Right. Too. So you've still got a pretty good core of people coming back. You've got, obviously, Diamond, which we talked about. Asia Todd should be healthy again. She's going to be a key shooter as well. Hopefully, Lish comes back as, as well. And Jenea, who saw plenty of action the year before, before she got hurt, and I thought was very good. Um, we know about Desto. I um, want to see what her off season is like because if she oh if God. she turns over a leaf, she could be Moss. She may not score a thousand points, but she could be a Mossina 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 Kaba light. There we go. Um we've talked uh, you know, we I mean no doubt she wins the most improved player award, doesn't she? I mean, how many double doubles did she have? I counted three on the season. Yeah. And uh, I you know, you gotta be impressed with that and then we look at the recruits obviously savannah henderson is coming in uh is was already on the roster mm -hmm. um three more really intriguing signees for coach a back in november this is where we get to look. now Fat fatima diacate six five center from montvert academy i'm glad you said her last name because i was struggling with reading it uh diacate yeah no that's impressive her and desto and elaine a damn that, okay. that's going to be a problem especially when you especially when you line them up also with um with amaya evans from tampa from dme academy mm -hmm. who's a 6-1 forward um and we've talked about savannah henderson obviously savannah is is listed as a 6-1 guard um and then the player who uh folks on the staff have told me that she's already better now than both diamond and kk wright were coming in Stephanie Ingram, point guard from Lake Highland Prep. She intrigues me. She really does intrigue me, especially when you, if you, if you if if she's going to be, if she is to diamond as diamond was to KK. Like this if she can get, shine like the diamond. Yeah, no, this is going to be something. Now here's here's where I'm gonna I want to bring the both of you in on this one. Every time we have a good season in any sport. What immediately happens? What's going to happen with the coach? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there are some very intriguing openings out there in Division One basketball right now. Notably, two, two. I, I think you right, really three. Eric, I think you said that you want to take that we should keep an eye on Illinois, 
Florida State, and Georgia. Um, obviously, Florida State in, uh, in an in-state job. They're familiar with what Coach Abe has been doing. Illinois, Coach Abe has roots in the Midwest, played at, played at Iowa, uh, also in the Big Ten. Uh, and then also Coach Abe played at Georgia her first two years in college under Andy Landers. That job is open now. Um, I I hate this because it, it, it gives me that pit feeling in my stomach, right? I mean, it's just after you see such a great season, you see so much, so much potential going forward. But of course, now the calcula- the, the calculation for a coach about leaving is different because you got that Big 12 tag on the horizon, whereas before you didn't. So, I'll ask I'll put it to the two of you this way and Eric, I'll start with you and Kyle, you'll I'll give you the last word. What are the percentage odds, 0 to 100% that coach Abe returns to UCF in uh for next season? Uh I would say 60% she returns. 60%. Uh, I think she she'll returns. Yeah, but I think she'll listen. You have to if you're anybody in that situation would listen. Oh yeah, especially I mean, Georgia, especially Georgia where she played there. Now we don't know. You know, she left. She transferred to go back to Iowa. My theory, from what I, you know, because I think she wanted to be back home. Uh, but obviously, she's talked about Coach Landers very much a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia, who's a very she's an admirer of Coach Landers, has a lot of people. I, I covered Coach Landers toward the end there at Georgia. Right. Just a, a, uh, a they, dude of all dudes. Just a great coach. And they and pay. Great and they, right. And that co- and that job is open because the Georgia coach just left for Texas A&M. Uh, that job, the coach was making $835,000, which is a lot of money. So you listen. Because yeah. uh, Although, although to be fair, like, making... like, how does, like, you know, you're talking about a lateral move in the SEC. I disagree. It's not a lateral move. You're going to the SEC, which has way more resources, more no, money. No, 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 no. I'm not saying Coach uh, Abe would be. But I'm saying that's. I'm saying the Georgia coach left. That's a that's a lateral move, which tells me like Georgia's yeah. program uh, might be in a pretty yeah. weak spot. Well, there's that big question. You know this. Can you win in basketball in the state of Georgia? Because they don't care. <laughs> they care about football. Uh, so that's the big question. Georgia there. But she's in a, she played there, so she's going to get a phone call. Doesn't mean she'll accept. Uh, Illinois, obviously, Big Ten uh, situation there. Florida State, I think Florida State's going to try to keep that in the family, personally. But you never know uh, what they're thinking over there. The big thing here, and I, and I think we have to, we always get caught up in the coach's contract and the salaries. And we forget this, Kyle. Coaches will use leverage, not necessarily for their own gain, but to make sure that their people, their staff around them, is taken care of. And I think that's the key this time around. Coach Abe has leverage. She's going to make, no matter what decision she makes, it's going to be a good decision. It's good to be her. But she's going to make sure that not only she's taken care of, but she's going to definitely make sure that her staff around her is taken care of. Because that staff's been together for a long time, Kyle. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, so Kyle, I throw the question to you. Your percentage odds that we see Coach Abe on the sidelines at UCF next season. So my percentage odds, 60. I'm, I'm surprised Elo came out with 60. I thought you'd have a lower number. Good on you for, for, for uh, adopting a, a bit of optimism here, my man. You, you're enjoying it's more likely to happen than not, and I respect that. I say that jokingly, of course. Um, I'm closer to 75 or 80, and let me tell you why. Um, for one, every time Coach Abe refers to herself as having played, it's always Iowa. I have never 
heard her mention, hey, I used to play at Iowa and right. Georgia. That's not how it goes. When I've asked questions. Right. The only time she brings it up is Landers. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. The only time I, uh, opportunities I've had to ask about SEC basketball to her would have been post the Tennessee game, which would have been my first press conference with her. So, okay, that might have been somewhat limited my ability to gauge information. Fair. By the way, what a way to start one. A game that a big game that you feel like you should have won. And here I am. So, coach, how do you think the dog? But, but she was, of course, a true professional. Um, and then Arkansas, the reverse layup beauty uh, for the game winner by Diamond Battles. Mood's a lot better. I have a few more press conferences under my belt at that point, too, right? <laughs> um, and in talking to her, whenever I mentioned the aspect of coming with the SEC, she respected it, but it didn't feel uh, like it had the same gravity playing the SEC. She, she, she respected it. She didn't revere it. Correct. However... Yeah when other conferences and reverence come up, the one she's about to play to in the next one to two years is one she shows respect for. Now, is that coaching marketing? Maybe, but I think there's a little bit more to it than that as well. And the fact that it's a legit basketball conference. Okay. Um, I could argue that we could be this, having this conversation next year and a factor is Mike Oresco more than anything else, but all that aside, the final, the final, Oh, and by the way, uh, Elo, her respect for women's basketball in Florida. We've talked about it on this show. Absolutely. How Absolutely. Florida doesn't get enough respect in, in, well, in on the recruiting. Yep. Yep. Right, yeah. For, for women's basketball. Um, and you know, coach Abe's talked about it big. Um, we've talked about it big because she mentioned it. She clearly enjoys being in this state from a recruiting standpoint yes. and the strength of the sport in the state. Yeah. Of course it's football first. Let's not get ridiculous, but the amount of leverage they have, compared to other states he likes the pipeline here absolutely yeah um and last but certainly not least gentlemen i don't mean to be this guy but i'm gonna play a card that um maybe might think is out of bounds i don't know but who was the one that enrolled early on the roster that would be savannah Savannah Anderson. anderson her daughter i really think she wants to coach her daughter oh i don't think that's a that's a but i mean players transfer all the time especially now it's so easy so I, I don't know if i would put stock into that but i do think florida they both like the state of florida and the living here and right. the fact they're going to the big 12 helps i think if there were if the big 12 was not in the picture we might have a different conversation right now and, i and think that's absolutely true. right uh yeah i'm putting these things as a combination of items rather than just sure, absolutely agree agree um for my money um if we were in that parallel universe and you were telling me it can't be the only thing i'm not here to tell you it's ironclad but again Hearing the language she uses when she talks about these topics lets me go do my little Sherlock Holmes impression. And, and basically, I don't, I just don't feel like she's going to leave at this point. Now, next year, if the American has slacked and, and, and or I should say, continued to hold transferring schools hostage, I'll put it that way, and um, somebody else of that ilk. I know you guys are still jaded by Scott Frost, by the way. That's why you're worried about former schools and all that. <laughs> I'm good, well, man. I'm good. Um, not you two necessarily. Scott Frost ain't the only one, but no. okay. But no. I think the question we, we don't know is what Most is quote, audience, quote, her dream job? What is her dream job? That's the question. And we don't know that. And we don't know. Like, for example, if Iowa was the one that would open, I think there'd be a lot more concern to your point, because she has talked about Iowa at length. And it wouldn't be the first time we've lost a coach to Iowa. So, uh, in fact, she has a lot of friends in that program over there sure. in that school. So, uh, 
that's the part that I we don't know, and we don't. I don't believe. Uh, to your point, Kyle, I don't think Georgia qualifies as a dream job. Right. Also, a good point too. But and we're we're down to another thing. Is is see, and that's the thing. A money bump in women's basketball doesn't mean as much as it does in football, too, guys. Like a money bump in football is a matter of millions. A money bump in women's uh, women's basketball percentage wise will not be a number a matter of millions. So the value of that move is thus less because economics and, you know, we can, we, we don't want to get into the weeds of whether that's fair or not. That's just the state of the world. And I say all that to say, perhaps she values building something up to be historic potentially over the money as well. That's, that's another aside. Oh, I think there's truth to, uh, right, right, right. I don't think she's doing, she's not doing this for money. Now she is doing this to take care of her staff, and I think that's you know that's that's what a coach should do is and that, taking yeah. care of the loyalty there, and the I think that's she, fair. The reason why she's going to take the calls, and you put this up nice, but I want to I want to make it clear for for the people listening how this is going to go. This isn't about necessarily her wanting to actually move. This is going to be hey, I uh, I got this call. I went to Timo. I said, listen, this call says I can do this for my assistants. Can you match it? In the press, that plays great because all UCF can do if they call her butt bluff is look bad. So, mm. uh, you know, it, 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 this is this is what and she wants is. us to obviously. And by the way, we've spent so much time, way too much time talking about the men's basketball and the budgets and the resources and the limited, all that. That applies to women's basketball, too. Let's not kid, especially when you move over to the Big 12. Terry Mahajer, that's why he came out with his presentation this week. Yeah, uh, uh, listen, (laughs) if you're concerned about like the amount of money that you need to pay really good coaches to keep them around, check out that Mission 12 presentation from Terry Mahajer because and I'm looking at it right now. The whole thing, I mean, you it's. The numbers are stark when you look, when you okay. compare UCF to the remainder of the Big Twelve, and that means the the fan base and the donors have got to step it up. You know, it's bottom line, and you know what? we're not alone. Houston's got to do it too. Cincinnati's got to do it too. The th- the we three new entrants that aren't that are public schools, mm-hmm. right? God knows what BYU is bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is. We are the three lowest in the Big 12, and we got to step it. And by the way, the TV contract, whatever that may be, as you know, Eric, a sizable portion of it, but not nearly enough. Correct. No, but I also think relationships have to be built. I don't think it's as simple as, hey, hand us some money. I mean, in fairness, (laughs) yes, a lot of the young alumni don't donate to the school. You know why? Because they don't have money. You know, Kyle's a young buff. He's in his prime. He doesn't have money to donate right now. He's got kids. I have. I'm young. I don't I have kids. money to donate. I try to donate, but not a lot. Uh, Houston does have people. They have a guy named for Tita that can spend as much as he wants, and among others. And we don't have that yet. I think it takes time. Uh, the thing I like, not to kind of deviate, but I do like the fact that Terry mentioned that. Hey, we're going to build all these facilities, but we're not just going to use this for game day. We need to use this for other nights that are not game days to make revenue. And I think yeah. that's smart. smart. Like that football stadium should be used more than six or seven times a year. It's ridiculous. Uh, so I, I actually like that. that now, if only we had a, maybe there. we had another team that could play inside that facility and maybe pay us to play. Yeah, we got to bring an NFL team. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. Now the problem you know. is football doesn't work here, as we know already by history. Actually, but, drew pretty well, but details don't get me started. I'm saying yeah. concerts. Let's get some 
concerts there. Let's get some sitcoms shows there. Let's get let's get Kyle to perform in front of the stadium sitcoms. for us. Why would you put sitcoms inside a football? Jerry Seinfeld. I want Jerry Seinfeld to keep performing. Oh, he means comedians. Or whatever sitcom. Comedians. Yeah, comedians. Yeah. Chris hey, Rock. Look, Give me some Chris I, Rock. I'd go to a Chris Rock show at the dang uh, bounce. And a boy. That's what I'm saying. Let's get some Chris. They already got AEW coming to the arena. Let's get other, you know, entertainments there, man. That's what we got to do. Become an entertainment global yeah, yeah. there. I mean, um, the Globetrotters yeah, I, I, come I, into the arena. Why can't we get something like that in the stadium? I'm down, Elo. Amen to that. Amen to that. So you get where I'm going with it. But hopefully, I think Abe will stay. Uh, I've heard from people that cover the SEC. They don't think she'll get that job because they don't believe her system works in the SEC. You know, <laughs> whatever. Cool. Uh, if you really? say so. All right. Plus... I do think here's the other aspect in the Big Twelve. There's no Don Staley there. There's no That's Gino Oriema. Kim Mulkey left. Kim Mulkey <laughs> left for LSU. Don, Don, Don Staley so, is basically we, the Nick Saban of women's basketball right now. So what you're trying to tell me is she could evolve past the Torchy Clark and get to another uh, big figure level, huh? Well, there was there was a wise person that made that comparison on the Banneret articles of a little while back, just like some other wise man wrote this week about how <laughs> a great guy, great looking guy, sharp dress guy, the best dress media guy, the first ever women's basketball media guy to cover them and the, to lead them to the NCAA tournament, wrote about how they were iconic, an iconic team. You can read that right now in Black and Gold Banneret, courtesy of our very own Kyle Nash. Right. Oh my goodness! That so we'll have to leave it leave it right there. I, I tell you, I. <laughs> end on me being handsome okay yes yes we're gonna listen <laughs> really you're gonna be upset about that okay oh, no, i just think it's um i love it all man. right when we uh, it, it's hey it's a lot of off-season intrigue now with this um just enjoy the great know, year man, let's not worry like, about the future let's you enjoy know the I, year. I, you know what eric i would love to but you know something it is literally our job to be to have anxiety over this <sighs> You know, oh, it's just speak for yourself. I I slept well all the time. Look at the well, look say, at the bright side. Yeah. I, well, I, I was gonna say, what's the worst case scenario? She moves on. You can This is a pretty coveted job, is it not? We'll see. I mean, I, I think she'll stay. I think at the end of the day, I think she stays. I think she'll. But stay. I do think she'll get taken care of. Yeah. That's I think she'll get it. one way or the other. She's gonna get taken care of by get somebody. that bag. She'll get to get that bag, Coach Abe. Get get it, Kyle. Get in. Call Andrew Glukoff. Tell him to open up the wallet. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Oh wow. Um. <laughs> hey, listen. For all for what it's worth, we we have an episode officially where Elo is legislating stay positive. I'm taking that as a win. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's get let's get to the break right now while we have a chance. Right? Okay. Um. Stay around when we come. By the way, follow uh, Kyle VSOTG on Twitter. Kyle, you and I, I want to work together on some uh, men's and women's basketball sort of way too early next season, wrap up oh, this season boy. kind of thing. This is going to be fun because I, I think we're getting a lot of talk in the offseason about like where this pro- both programs really are. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm putting us, I'm, I'm holding our feet to the fire on this one. Oh, no, you're saying it on All the right. show and it's official now. And once I can, it's clear- happening. Once I can clear this week's uh, spring football shenanigans, yeah. um, we're gonna write. I, what's that? And we're we're gonna write. There's gonna be data and tables and information and take that all the for cool, data. All the yeah, all the cool things that I like to do that Eric hates. So, hey. you know, I'm I'm all about it. 
Listen. So we're be on the Let's lookout. Let's just make for sure that. the coach is here before you write that. Let's just make sure the coach is here before you write that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that kind of might change your narrative. The SOTG on Twitter, Kyle. Thanks. Appreciate Honor, you, joy, man. and privilege. Looking forward to working on that piece with you, Jeff. But until next time, everybody, class dismissed. Don't go away. When we're, when we're back, Eric and I preview. We're going to have a whole segment of softball, kids. About time. It's a long Listen, overdue. Big series this weekend. Maybe, is it the biggest ever, Eric Lopez? We're going to find out. We got some big matchups. UCF against USF. War on I-4. Like I said, the the immovable object meets the unstoppable force. Um, We're going to preview that when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Now, the student of the game, he didn't quite dismiss himself yet. So we got him around here for like one little more mini segment before we talk about softball. You stayed after class to get educated. I know, I know. A little extra credit. A little extra credit. It's it's well, look. It's either extra credit or we're calling this after school detention. So no, no, it's study hall. There's no okay. Here. All right, a little study hall because we want to talk about the men's program and some news dropping in terms of the transfer portal. Three guys have entered the transfer portal: Xavier Rhodes, Dre Fuller, who walked on senior day. That was expected, mm-hmm. and the one that maybe wasn't expected but kind of was Isaiah Adams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. The former Mister uh, Basketball in the state of Florida last year, all conference or all all freshman team in the conference, I should say. Um, this year, for whatever reason, the bottom dropped out. Uh, his scoring uh, dropped by more than fifty percent. His shooting percentage dropped by twelve percentage points. Um, you could just see it washing out there. He was absolutely frustrated with his play at times and. At one point, Coach Dawkins, I think, did bench him for a game. Um, he ended the season with some injury problems. I think it was an ankle injury that was bothering him. Just a bummer, you know. And um, fans on Twitter are naturally uh, uh, self-immolating over this. <laughs> but um, let's talk. Let's let's talk about those departures. I I, I think the uh, and let's start with Isaiah because that's obviously the big one. Um, you know, you and uh, we we all kind of talked about it. Said you know it, it's kind of feeling like it's not working out here, and lo and behold, it didn't. Kyle. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And, and let me be clear. I think I think Adams transfer. And listen, I like the kid. I talked to him. He had me believing that he was going to break out going into this season. And obviously we didn't see that. And I think part of that is because he was putting that on himself. I mean, the dude even snuck into the, excuse me, to the uh, coach Dawkins press conference at hoops media day and asked questions. Like he was trying to be a personality for this team and, 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 and be a big part of it. And that just simply didn't transpire. I, I mean, it wasn't all injury. I think it's, you know, definitely the mental game. I think he put too much pressure on himself. And the reason why I feel like his transfer is a win for both sides is with him having an injury and taking that into the offseason and having to concentrate to get back. Granted, not that it's a huge injury. It's not like he's going to be out for months. But anything that slows his ability to try to grow on that is going to be something that's added to his headspace. And, and the longer the short is, I don't think the, these surroundings right now with as much change as is taking place just in the conference alone. Forget about all the other implications, you know, 
people calling for Dawkins' head and this and other that. Like, I don't think any of that is particularly uh, good for him in this case. As a, as a freshman or as a new guy in a program, you get a lot of extra help in those kinds of matters. And wherever he ends up, A, I wish him success because I do think he is a good basketball player. B, um, I don't know that his best opportunity to get right next season is here. I, I don't think this is the best space for him to achieve that. Eric? Just disappointing across the board. Just disappointing. I mean, I, everything Kyle says is accurate. I'm not going to argue with it, but it's still disappointing. Like, that yeah. should that was going to be a part of your future. And, uh, you know, whatever happened, happened. I mean, we could spend hours talking about it. I don't think the roster was a fit for him in some ways. I think, to your point, he put too much pressure on himself. Mm-hmm. Probably thinking about things like the NBA, when you probably got to block that out. There you know, you that's one of the things that B.J. Taylor said. Men's basketball has so many things in their heads, egos, like people talking pros and pro ball and all this stuff. Whereas the women's don't have that stuff to worry about. They, they kind of play more as a unit. And I think in men's right now, especially now with all the shoe companies and everybody in their ear, uh, sometimes you just kind of, you know, get not focused on what you need to be focused. So it's disappointing because I think he was going to be a big part of this future with Darius Johnson and the Hendricks boys, which are coming. So, yeah. Uh, it's just a bummer. I really liked him a lot. He was fun to watch and it was disappointing. It didn't work out this year. And uh, I hope, I think he'll, I agree with you, Kyle. I think he'll flourish wherever he goes. I think this is a lesson for him. We forget these are 19, 20 year olds. We think they're robots. They're not right. Life happens. You get hit in the face. We could agree or disagree whether moving, you know, people leaving after a year or two is, you know, is a good thing or not, you know, back in the day, you used to have to stick it out. Now you don't, we'll see where he ends up. Some people think he could go back home to UNF Jacksonville. I think he's better than that. And I think he'll end up in a better program than that, but we'll see. Or maybe he'll enjoy being a big fish in a pond, man. Listen, it could go either way. You make great points. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, Xavier Rhodes, he didn't play this year. He was a 6'8 power forward, was a three-star in rivals coming out um, from Dallas. Um, Didn't really hear much about him in terms of like, you know, many of the details um uh but redshirted um pj edwards is sticking around he was another freshman who redshirted um and then dre fuller of course well he walked in senior night anyway so that was kind of expected so really you have five guys returning at least as of as of this instant uh we're recording this on uh thursday march 24th um just after noon eastern um and those five guys, Darren Green, C.J. Walker, Darius Johnson, Ty Freeman, Jameel Reynolds. Not a bad starting five if you were forced to do that. By right. And among those returners, I did the math. That's, you know, of those five guys, that's about 50%, 50% of your foul shots, 50% of your points, 50, 47% of your rebounds. Um you know, really the guy who's sort of the big loss is Mbake Jong because of his defensive presence. Like, you're losing a lot of rebounding and shot blocking there. Sure. But, you know, again, that's something that, you know, you, you can – Johnny's been pretty good, I think, in the transfer portal in terms of being able to fill the holes that he needs to. Um, And, you know, a lot of the – and, of course, you know, you're, you're bringing back only 45% of your assists from last year, but most of that was Darius Perry. You knew he was going to be going – and we've seen how Darius Johnson has developed over the course of this year. So I'm, I'm not overly concerned 
about that because the trend line is going up on that. So um, all that said, you know, you still have a pretty decent core coming back with about 50% of your production. And Eric, like you were saying before, like this is kind of going to be the rule, not the exception. Mm -hmm. Um, Stephen Leonard and I had an argument earlier about like, about he says that this is a quote, full rebuild. Is this a full rebuild? Define that. It depends on what the roster. Yeah. It depends what the roster looks like, but what's your definition of a rebuild? Um, but I'm looking at this. You're, you're getting you're getting 50 percent of your production back, and and basically a starting five. Right? Yeah, is that a full rebuild? Well, and I'll, I'll I... and raise you this, gentlemen. Sorry, I go, let me get this in real quick. The the the, the reason why it's impossible yeah, yeah. for it to be a full rebuild is 60 percent of of your starting core is in place already, right? Yeah. Walker, um, DJ. Well, no, I can call him Darius again, and uh, yeah. and um, of course uh, Darren Green. Right, that's sixty percent of a starting lineup, including the leading scorer. So no way in heck this is a full rebuild. That's crazy. Yeah. No offense, Mister Lennon. It depends. Well, we got to see what the final roster looks like. You know, there's gonna be new. We're, there's gonna we're gonna see what the final roster looks like. How Let many transfers the, come in? Lopez Does Astrid. anybody else leave? Right. I mean, hundred percent, buddy. Yeah. No. And and thank you for for keeping me diligent on that because I keep forgetting the nil is a thing. No, and the reason like. <laughs> Because remember what we said in football after the a week after the Gasparilla Bowl. Man, this defense is going to be awesome. They return everybody. They're going to be great. Well, what happened? A bunch of guys left. Some left uh, for the NFL draft that we didn't expect. Some left to transfer that we maybe didn't expect. Some so, left again, man, we're in an unpredictable program. era right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But my point is now this defense is very young. So we got to see where it is. I actually think it's a good like, – the good news is I don't think fans are going to have expectations for this team next year, and I'm fine with that. I think the expectations last year were over the top. That's I think they made this team look like they I've were the late. <laughs> no, I don't think this team – I mean, this team will probably be picked on the second tier of the American. Uh, but that's okay. He's got to – the main thing is you got Darren Green back. You got Darius Johnson back. C.J. Walker you think is back, we think. Uh, and then you add some pieces to that, and you go from there. And hopefully, I think you have a better fit basketball team. Again, the most overrated thing in basketball is when the coaches say they have depth. You know when they say they have depth? It means they don't have a marquee player. That means they just have a bunch of guys. And I think that's what we saw and we learned from this past year is, yeah, they had a lot of guys, but they didn't have the guy. Like the 2019 team, they had a guy. Two guys. They had Aubrey Dawkins, B.J. Taylor could take over on the offensive end. They had Taco Fall who could take over on the defensive end. They didn't have that this past year, among other things. So is it a rebuild? I don't know. Uh, it would depend, uh, To Kyle's point, what's your definition of a rebuild? Yeah, even as I ask that question, I'm saying that I, you'd have to work hard to find me interpretation of how this is a full. I, I, I think my issue is with the word full. <clears throat> Correct. I agree. Yeah, there is some rebuilding, but to Eric's point, this is the life we will uh, live now. There's rebuilding every year now, a hundred percent. We're going to, uh, and 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 we're going to be, and I and I tweeted out that that little grid that I put together of the starting uh, of of the uh, returners and graduates and transfers and the returning production. So we'll see how that how that how that moves through. All right, student of the game, Kyle Nash. Appreciate you as always. Class, now you may be dismissed. <laughs> so make sure you do uh, your homework, fellas. 
Yes. All right. <laughs> Kyle Nash, thank you once again. Eric Lopez, let's switch gears over to softball. Oh, my God. Have we got a series this weekend, Elo. My goodness gracious. Conference is finally starting for your UCF women's ba- uh, uh, UCF women's basketball UCF softball team. I've got the I've got them stuck in my head. Um, twenty six and seven, sixteen and three at home. Um, did what they had to do against Furman. Run ruled them twice. Scored at least eight runs in all three games. And now. The real fun starts. They travel to Tampa Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three-game set with the receiving boats, South Florida Bulls, and that means you get to face Georgina Corrick, who has an ER. I think no. describing her earned run average as microscopic implies that it it, it, it is actually visible to the naked eye. Uh, which it, it, that that it may be possibly visible, <laughs> it's not. She is the real deal, man. I'm I'm trying to pull up these stats here real quick because it, it it's mind blowing. Point 0.16 ERA for yeah. uh, Georgina Corey. Zero yeah. zero. Say that again for the for the folks in the back. <clears throat> zero point one six ERA. Okay. Number one in the because I'm seeing because I'm seeing zero point one four on you on usf's oh that's right she website. pitched tuesday against canisius she okay. got a shutout against canisius on she's tuesday, so 20, she lowered it to 0.14 22 and right. one she's got a whip of 0.46 she has given up 55 hits seven runs only three of them earned in 148 innings 229 strikeouts in 148 innings and she's only walked 13 and opponents are hitting 109 against her. This is, she is the best pitcher in the country. And so this UCF lineup has a hell of a challenge in front of it. Now, how many times do you think we're going to see Georgina? And what is this team and Jada Cody, who is the national leader in RBI, is going to do? Well, I think you're going to see her all weekend. I think she's going to pitch in all three games, maybe two at the at the at minimum. Uh, she'll pitch there. She might come in relief in the third game if she doesn't start the third game. Uh, I think they're going to see a lot of her. Uh, it's a single game each day. I think that favors USF from that standpoint. They don't have to play a doubleheader. Uh, and she is the best pitcher in the in the sport. If I had to vote today, I would vote for her for National Player of the Year. I think that she's that good. They're a completely different team with her in the circle than when she's not. When she's not pitching, they lose to teams like St. Thomas. But when she's pitching, they can beat teams like Oklahoma State and Michigan like they've done this year. Uh, and she's a difference maker. Now, the good news for UCF is they are a team that had success against her in the past. They beat her twice last year at Granite. One was at home, and one was at the conference tournament semifinals. And the key for this offense is they're going to put the ball in play. Where You mentioned the strikeouts for Cork, where she dominates teams is where you can't put the ball in play. She just overpowers you. And where UCF last year, one of the things they were able to do is put the ball in play because they have a lot of uh, diversity in their offense. We mentioned Jada Cody leading the nation in RBIs. As I brought this up, a rare occurrence in the history of college softball, you will have the nation's leader in RBIs going up against the nation's leader in ERA. That has not happened in decades. Uh, So that is significant, but they have, it's not just Jada Cody. You have Shannon Doherty. I think the keys to this series is going to be Kennedy Searcy and Janisha Rowe, the two hitters in front of Jada Cody. They need to get on base, cause some havoc, that's going to force Cork to throw the ball up in the zone. 
if you're if they're not getting on, they can pitch around Cody and Doherty and go from there. And that's going to be the the chess match between these two teams. Something that Coach Sidney Ball Malone has told told us on uh, this past weekend. They know what the elephant in the room is. It's Georgina Corey. Well, I think the elephant in the room is we're going to face the best pitcher in the nation with ERA and whatever, but it's one person on the team, right? And so um, it matches up very well with our, our offense. Like, that's one of our biggest things, and we have not just one pitcher. We have a whole pitching staff. Um, and so I just love how we're really, you know, sharpening up our tools and getting ready to play our game, regardless of who's in the circle, what team is out there, you know, what uniform they're wearing. We're just going to continue to keep playing our game. And so that's Coach Ball, and that's the mindset. They feel it's their team is better than one player. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, UCF obviously is ranked in all the polls. They're 15 in the RPI. Uh, I'm, it's weird. To, this is the first time these two teams have ever started conference play against each other. They're usually playing in the middle or at the end of the year, which I personally like better. But uh, it's a significant series. The national media's grabbed onto it. D1 Softball's written about it. I had uh, Ryan Urquhart who's going to call that series on my the Inner Circle mm-hmm. podcast. You have to check that out. But it's a big series. I think the pressure's on actually on South Florida uh, because if they lose this series, they might get into the bubble. Whereas UCF will be fine either way, but this is obviously a huge ramifications from a conference championship, which is the goal for both of these teams. Remember, of the seven previous regular season titles that have been awarded in the American Conference in softball, five of them have gone to either UCF or USF. That's what's at stake this weekend. I think the winner of this series, obviously, with Wichita State also to be considered, uh, is the favorite to win the league moving forward. All three games are going to be on ESPN Plus Friday at 4, Saturday 6, Sunday at 4. How much of an advantage does South Florida have playing at home? Big. Put it to this way. Center field, it's 230 feet, not 220, not 200. It's a bigger park. I believe it's 210 to left center and right center. It's a pitcher's park. uh, So that's how they like to play it. That's why she, you know. They have good numbers. They've had great pitchers there. The good news for UCF, though, they're not solely dependent on the power game. They can play small ball as well. But it's a big park. Uh, interestingly for UCF, a lot of these players, this will be their first trip there. Remember, they didn't play in 2020 when they were supposed to play there in Tampa. Now, UCF did play in that facility against Tennessee and FIU in a tournament that USF hosted there in 2020, but they've never played USF in a three-game series there. And I've been told, talking to Ryan Urquhart, who will be calling that series on ESPN+, with our friend Allison Kime, who's the analyst over there, it's going to be sold out. It's going to be sold out over there. It's going to be packed. Uh, the, this is a series that everybody circles. When you look at the War and I-4 rivalries, softball is right at the top because this rivalry goes back to 2005 when they faced off in the NCAA tournament for the first yeah. time. So this has been ongoing for about 17 years. It's right up there with probably women's soccer right now and women's basketball since Abe has arrived. Uh, so it's intense. It's big. Uh, it's going to be exciting. You mentioned it. You know, Can UCF wear out Georgina Cork? I think they're going to try to take some pitches, try to wear her out. And But the other side of the story here, playing game because South Florida offensively, what they want to do is get on base, steal bases, and manufacture runs. They're a very old school softball team. You and whoever this is a, a series, whoever has the lead, is got a big advantage. If USF has a two run lead, 
that's a big order, tall ass to, to come back against Cork in that building. But if UCF has the lead, USF's going to have a hard time coming back as well. All right. Well, all three games. You know, now we're getting to that sort of the schedule kind of kind of levels off now that you're in conference play, right? You play usually play three games in three uh, days. <laughs> you got the couple, and then you got that midweek against uh, against Florida in games on Wednesday too, Eric. Like that's that's another one that you got to keep keep an eye out now for. If a you're top using. ten team in the country. Mm-hmm. Top ten team in the country, and then oh by the way, they host Virginia Tech, who's number five in the country with Keely Richard. If you don't believe Georgina Cork is the best pitcher in the country, the the answer might be Keely Richard. So right. uh, yeah, the next stretch is going to be strong there. That Virginia Tech series is big, but that's how they like it. And that's why they have an RPI of fifteen. And I will say this, Jeff, if this team has success in the next seven games, Virginia Tech, Florida, South Florida. Let's say they go five and two, something like that, four and three. This team will be in the mix to host a regional. I mean, Are we sure about that? I mean, you know, they'll, they'll be in the whole mix. discussion about women's basketball. Are you sure we're going to host a regional? <laughs> no, I said we would be in the conversation. We would have the resume. We would we still get screwed. So, because <laughs> I knew, we I apparently we don't know what an airport is. We can't fly teams to an airport. Can't fly teams in an There's airport. Two airports on either side of this campus. We're crying out loud. All right. I know. Uh, let's see. The most asinine uh, role. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, UCF against South Florida down in Tampa. Tampa Knights, man. That's this is a good series. You want to go on? You want to catch? Probably. Would you say this is the this is a or maybe the marquee series in college softball this weekend? Uh, it's up there with UCLA. Washington is playing this weekend in the Pac-12 and LSU Arkansas in the SEC. I think those okay. are the three. That probably, I mean, this one, especially with the Cody Corrick storyline, is getting a lot of play. And uh, I'm very jealous of Ryan Urquhart and Allison Khan because they get to call three games. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll be watching them on ESPN+. (laughs) Stick around. We come back. Bryson Turner will be here to talk. uh, uh, Give us a little bit of an update on baseball as uh, as they roll through uh, their schedule here. And they're approaching conference play as well. Um, And uh, pull together a few other odds and ends here. Stick around. We'll be right back. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you and joining us now, Bryson Turner, to talk about our grab bag of UCF sports from uh, around the uh, world of the spring sports as we roll into, um, as we roll, at, well, baseball, but we're going we're gonna to start with that here as UCF baseball is at 13 and 8. They um, got one out of three against UCF, uh, UCF Greensboro. UNC Greensboro um, <laughs> on uh, o- over the weekend after they got that win over Miami. Kind of a bummer because, um, you know, they had some injuries to the pitching staff. Connor Stain left his game. Hunter Pattison left his game. Apparently they're going to be okay. But uh, they were able to salvage out that one win before getting um, beat 10-2 to by number 7 Florida State in Tallahassee on Tuesday. They were supposed to play yesterday, but that game got canceled. So, um, that takes us to the final uh, non-conference weekend of the season with UCF facing off against Samford uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6-6-1 six, six, and one respectively. Um, and But, you know, like we said, a little bit of a slide here, uh, uh, Bryson, as, as things have kind of come back to earth. Um, lost three out of four over this past weekend, but, you know, like we were saying, 
like those that banged up pitching staff may have had something to do with it. Hopefully they're back, but what's the latest on Connor Stain and Hunter Patterson? Well, we don't know what exactly Hunter Patterson had. Um, we know um, Lovelady, Coach Lovelady didn't even, wasn't, didn't really know either, said he didn't really know either after, um, after the game. He had no update on Connor after the game and having had a chance to speak with him since. But it, the good news is, and but as far as Connor Stain is concerned, he has back spasms, but the word is, is that it was Patterson was removed for just cautionary reasons. So it looks like there's nothing serious, but considering what happened with Connor, I can understand why they wouldn't want to take too much, too many chances with Hunter, because I think honestly, at this weekend with UNC Greensboro approved one thing, is it, expo- is it exposed just how much this team is going to probably have to rely on Stain and Patterson in order to succeed because this offense has not really been able to get much, uh, get much going. I mean, obviously the loss of Nick Romano hurts it even more, but Jeffrey Pena is the only batter to have a high with a, a with a substantial number of at bats to have over three a uh, three hundred batting average, and he has three sixty five. All the credit in the world goes to Jeffrey Pena. He was the only batter that was able to do much of anything against UNC Greensboro. So that so credit to him. But a big thing that Lovelady mentioned about Greensboro, though, is that they're a really well-hitting team. Right now, UNC Greensboro is ranked 62nd in the country in batting average. And and considering that they had to face a UCF bullpen that was being stretched to its limit, it's understandable why they ended up blowing the lead that they did in the first game, which, I mean, rained. obviously they had to suspend the game and that had an impact, but you had to go through your bullpen the whole time. So that didn't really help either. And then game, and then of course you have game three where it was just where it was really close. And David Litchfield just didn't really have the best outing on Saturday, which led to that. So I think that honestly, it's just the same old story as far as far as as far as what we've said in previous weeks. The offense is still a concern that definitely needs to be addressed. And then when but the biggest thing we learned is the dependence that they're probably going to need to have on Connor Stain and Hunter Patterson. And basically, we can't have another Colton Gordon situation again like we did last year or else we might get into some trouble. The good news is, though, is that going into Sanford, they have a they have a batting average that's a little more on par with what you see what you, with what UCF has. Sanford's currently ranked 187th in the country in batting average, while UCF is 165th. So as long as the UCF pitching remains health and remains healthy, and the bullpen is able to get rested back up after a very strenuous week, then I think that then I think Sanford should be a very solid opponent and very winnable. Well, about about Sanford. Um... You know, they, uh, they've already played a team from the American this year in Memphis and gotten swept in three straight. And Memphis isn't, isn't exactly, you know, the greatest of shakes in the, uh, in the, uh, in the American, at least not uh, traditionally, but um, they come in at 10 and seven so far, by the way, you see it, we, it's, it's time that we actually start looking at RPI and UCF's RPI. PI right now 87, not quite where you want it to be. They're going to have to find a way to boost that here somehow. As we look at Samford's RPI coming into this game or coming into the series, they were at 118. So this is this is a series where UCF is going to have to take care of business uh, in order to uh, in order to kind of hold serve as they get ready for um, conference play. Now, just a reminder for the future schedule: UCF has FAU uh, at home on the 29th. That's Tuesday. Before they start conference play at home against South Florida uh, on March the 29th, so 
uh, now we're getting ready. Now the like we said, we talked in the previous segment about softball, how the the schedule is going to kind of is going to kind of coast now. Well, now we're we're going to start seeing that with baseball um, as well. So, all right, I want to uh, move over to uh, track and field real quick uh, as well. Bryson, because as we move to the outdoor season, the Knights invite is coming up this week. Um, two straight home meets for UCF. They had the Black and Gold Invitational last week. We didn't see Renaya Jones because she was taking the week off because she was at the National Indoor Championships. But as we move to the outdoor, what are we expecting to see Friday and Saturday here? And what well, did we see last week that was noteworthy? All right. Well, last week we ended. Um, the Knights ended up getting one gold medal thanks to Caitlin Pinnell, Katie Pinnell in the 800 meter run. So great job for Katie. We also uh, then there were ten silver and bronze medals to go around for the Knights. The highlights of which in the hi- highlights of which include Sierra Holback, who got third place in the 100 meter dash, a new personal best for her at 11.4 seconds. And then she also got silver in the 200 meter in the 200 meter dash. And she ended up earning AAC at track athlete of the week honors for that. So congratulations to Sierra. And then, and then Valerie Lastra got the silver in the 3000 meter run, make get breaking the school record for the event that she set herself around a year, around a year, exactly a year ago. And it's also the first ever sub 10 minute run in the event by a UCF athlete ever. She didn't have to break it by much. The previous record was like 10 minutes and like 0.58 seconds. So it was already close to begin with, but congratulations to Valerie last year for that. Um, and yeah, it was a really solid week for, to be, to begin. Uh, Sydney Turner also got sixth place in the 800 meter. Congratulations to her, McKenna Melville and Alex Ward on getting the order, uh, order of Pegasus distinction. So yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I order know. Pegasus, the, the, the highest honor a student at UCF can receive the order of Pegasus. So yeah, congratulations to them. To them. I mean, McKenna's just breaking it in all over the place. Can't wait yeah, to see it this fall. But as far, but uh, now we go into this weekend it, where where Renaya Jones makes her return to the makes her return. She's going to be competing in two events. I've just looked at the entry lists on half on start lists on halfmiletiming.com, which is where they do all the live updates. So for, so the the event to watch on Friday is going to be the 200 meter dash. Where we're going to see Renaya, Sierra Holback, also Latasha Smith making her debut in the out this outdoor season as well. So that'll be that is slated to start at 6:30 p.m. on Friday. Uh, then, of course, Renaya will also be competing in her signature event, the 100 meter hurdles, at 12:50 p.m. on Sunday. Yeah. All right. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Let's talk a little bit more tennis now, Jeffrey. This is yes, Jeffrey. Aaron. I, I want to say. Let me just say real quick, and women's tennis is going to be a good segue to this. We're in the middle of maybe the greatest year of UCF women's sports of all time. Like, this, oh, no it, doubt. it just no doubt. It you know Valerie Lester, who Bryson mentioned, and any other year in any other era would be talked about a lot more. But she's so under the radar because of Renaya Jones and what she's been doing. Valerie Lester has had a heck of a start to her career as well. You look at what Jada Cody's doing in softball, but. Kenna Melville, what she just got honored with in her career. It's kind of insane. Like, Jeff, yeah. like Bryce and I are talking about, the bannies are going to be insane to pick these women's awards. It's I've never seen it this deep. I don't know deep. what we're going to do. Like, I really don't know what we're going to do for these awards this year. Um, 
You're not even talking about people like Diamond Battles to factor into yeah. that. I mean, the 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 women's athletes in this year have absolutely been insane. It's it's gonna be really it's gonna be really hard come Banny's time. So so let's let's do that segue then. Let's talk about UCF women's tennis. They're ten and six right now. Uh, previously ranked twenty eight, they boosted themselves ten spots in the polls to number eight or the uh, tennis rankings. They're not polls. The uh, ITA tennis rankings to so number eighteen. Um, one spot behind USC, two spots behind Florida. Uh, they are 10-6 and six on the season and have won three in a row. What's the latest on the women's team? They, they had a huge win uh, against a top-10 opponent last Sunday. Is that right? Yes, indeed. Actually, all three of their wins came against ranked teams. BYU was ranked 69, Harvard was ranked 75, uh, and then oh, but the big win comes for Oklahoma State who was ranked number nine. And it was, and I was following this matchup while baseball, while while the baseball game that day was going on. And it was quite the entertaining affair. Me and a fellow uh, student journalist were kind of following it and we're kind of very amused. So basically, uh, so, so uh, Jenny Levashova and Marie Mattel ended up defeating the number 38 ranked doubles pair in the country from Oklahoma State. And then Noel Sidenova and Jalisa Leslie were able to, to reel it in for the doubles win. And then it ended up coming down to the wire. Sophia Biole, credit to her, um, both her and Marie Mattel needed to win their matches in order to win. Oklahoma State was up three to two. At that point. So UCF was backed up against the wall. They had to win the next two. So Sophia Biole, she ended up coming back from being swept in the first set. Then she went, then she won the second set seven to five, which means she had to play a couple more breaks than the regulation for a normal set. And then she had to go do it again in the, in the third set to win seven to six. Yeah, then won that in a tiebreaker in the third two, eight, six tiebreaker to win seven, six. Yes, and then, uh, and then you talked about Marie Mattel is playing number eighty-two Uno Arpana. Um, came had a, she had to come back from down one set to nothing, and she she played an eleven-nine tiebreaker in the first, and then came back and won seven-five-six-four to take the match, um, and that puts that puts UCF right back within the top twenty. They're they're at number eighteen, um, and they have Yale on Thursday and number sixty-six FAU on Sunday before they begin this. Form this three-match stretch against American Athletic Conference opponents before they go to the American Athletic Conference tournament, and then they really have to hit the gas because after that it's NCAA time. So, yeah. um, I want to get a- By the way, she won AAC tennis women's tennis athlete of the week honors right. for her performance as well, and she deserved it after that. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah. hum. Go ahead. Oh, hum. By the way, the women's team is in position to make the NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament again, which you know. <sighs> Yeah. Tennis, volleyball, softball, women's basketball. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. What are we doing? Now, yeah. we need to catch up on the men's team here because we talked about how ru- they really are off to a rough start. They are 6-11. and 11, And yet, and yet, when you look at the rankings, <laughs> it's kind of like the RPI. They're, they're ranked 57th around a bunch of teams that are actually that actually have won 10 matches on the year. Um, now obviously they have to get better if they want to get into the NCAAs here, uh, without having to worry about the conference, but they got a key victory over number 67 FAU four to one. They're playing number 38 SMU on Friday. And, uh, then that stretches that then they go on the road for three conference matches at Tulane at Tulsa at Memphis to start the month of April. 
before they play finish up playing South Florida on April 16th, and then it's conference tournament time. So, even though there are five matches under 500 right now, Bryson, are we getting ready to see this team heat up as they head down the stretch? Well, that's really going to depend on these three on these three upcoming matches because not only is SMU ranked, but so is Tulsa and Tulane. So these next three matches, I think, are going to be very are going to be very telling on what we'll see for the rest of the season for the men's tennis team. The the, the concern for me has always been their sing, their singles play. Their singles play has always been where they've really seemed to trip up lately because doubles play has been very good. The combination of Trey Hillebrand, Baltimore, Leighton Cronhay, and Cooper White, and any permutation of those athletes have done very well in doubles play. And Hildebrand and Pavel, who haven't really played with each other very much to start the season, they have they now have gotten back together and are now four and zero. Oh, 4-0 right now. They beat the number 35 ranked pair in the country from Illinois. And then in the FAU match, they beat the number 41 ranked pair in the country. So they're still just as just as good as ever as they are in doubles in doubles play. And so if anything, if anything, I think we'll see it in maybe one individual, one individual doubles pair do very well in the in post in postseason play. But as far as the team is concerned, I would just I would just watch that singles play because they've never really been able to put it all together in singles play like women's tennis has. And I think that's what we're the biggest thing we're gonna have to watch as we head into conference play. Yeah. Trey Hildebrand's been like like drinking out of a fire hose this season. You know, he's uh 78th in the country in singles, and he and Bogdan Pavel are 35th in doubles. Um and Pavel, by the way, has also been busy because he's ranked twice in the doubles rankings because his other pairing with Leighton Cronhay, like you were talking about, they're forty second in the country in doubles. Oh, yeah. So um so yeah, it's it, it's kind of it, we're kind of approaching, right, Eric? Now or never time for this team. We've seen them get off to slow starts before. They've dug themselves out of it. Now they got a real hole to dig out of. Yeah, because they played a brutal schedule. Uh yeah. and they just haven't won the close matches they won last year. The good news in tennis, the win-loss record is not as big of a deal. Like, if they can get to 500 but have an art, you know, the rankings are in the top 40, they can get into the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but to Bryson's point, it's going to st- – the next three matches will tell the story. Either they win two or three of those matches or three and really make a push, or they lose two out of those three and pretty much kind of kiss their season goodbye. So this next three matches is their season in a lot of ways. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up with rowing. Uh, and uh, Bryson, this is the first time we had the chance to talk about rowing this year because they started their season last week uh, at home at the Intercollegiate Rowing Center. That's out on Lake Pickett. Um, I did a feature on that on that facility. That's a beautiful facility. Um, it started off against uh, UConn and Jacksonville, and you know this is the uh, th- this is the chance for uh, for Becky Kramer and her crew. Um, to get back up to the top of the American uh, after getting knocked off the perch. But, uh, you know, they got off to a pretty good start uh, last Friday against UConn and Jacksonville, didn't they? Oh, yes, indeed. A little bit of a delayed start. There was a 40-minute weather delay to start things off. But they ended up sweeping, sweeping all five race, uh, all five races, and all and from what the recap has told me, almost all of them were won by over by over 15 seconds. So there, so I would say that that is a very solid start for the, for these row for these rowers to get on winning all five races. Excellent job. I think that, I think that you, you, like you said, they got knocked off the perch. And so I think this is a very good rebound for them. 
Yep, and they go to the UVA invite uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, hotbed of college rowing in Charlottesville on Saturday, um, this coming Saturday. So we'll see how they come up from that before they go to Sarasota next weekend for the Sunshine State. We should send Drew out to the Sunshine State invite in Sarasota, shouldn't we, Eric? I think so. Send him to softball, too, while we're at it. Yeah, Although, no, wait. The last time he covered UCF, USF, USF one. Never mind. Don't say it. No, 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 no. Okay, good point. Yeah, we'll no, the NCAA championships that. are going to be in Sarasota. Okay, let's let's not send him to those either, so nah. that you can have so you can have UCF actually finish finish pretty good. All right, sorry, Drew. Hey, I mean, we talk about women's athletics. I mean, don't don't count out women's rowing because they're among these these UCF women that have killed it that killed it this season. Well, what do we what do we say in previous shows, Eric? Right, UCF rowing set the standard five straight conference titles. Yeah, nobody is and, more uh, dominant keep- than Becky Kramer. No, and last year it ran into a buzzsaw in SMU, so I'll be curious how they bounce back this year and uh, try to go for that conference championship. I mean, there's a chance that every women's team makes the NCAA tournament except, what, women's soccer, which was right in the mix at the end. Yeah. Uh, Cross country, obviously, but they had a good year for their standards. Uh, Track is hard to, you know, I think you know track's going to be a factor. They've already won an indoor championship. It's it's. This is a historic year of women athletics. Good year. They have dominated the men's sports, clearly. Yeah. Um, hey, UCF's the place to be. We're, I mean, we're going to support everybody as best we can because, like, listen, it's, you know, you guys have known this. We've been doing this show for five years now, and, you know, we, we're we proud to see every UCF athlete succeed in whatever sport that they're at. It doesn't matter what the level is, what sport it is, that's what we want to do. And and I know that the fans who listen to our show appreciate that, and, and we will continue to do that. Bryson Turner, it's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Thank you, Bryson. Thanks for having me. All right. And that will do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. You can follow us at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric, Eric Lopez Elo. Thanks as well to Kyle Nash, the SOTG on Twitter for the student of the game. And another week rolls in with, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we're bummed about the end of basketball. But, but hey, once yeah, again, we don't want to thank Stores Connecticut ever. No, bye bye, Stores. Ever. Can we trade you for Toronto? I don't want to trade him for Toronto. Ever go to Stores Connecticut for anything ever again as long as I live. But we do have to end on. I, I'm not sure what's worse, Stores Connecticut or Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, the but oh, one last depends note. Depends on your perspective. <laughs> uh, what kind of weather do you like the least? Um, the. We want right. thank- hurricanes or snow. I actually <laughs> rather have snow. <laughs> Tornadoes. They don't I mean, get hurricanes in Tulsa, or- Oklahoma, Eric. It's the only hurricane. So why are they called the hurricane? The only, then? the only hurricane that ever hits Tulsa, Oklahoma, is the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. That's it. Ah. Yeah. So, but, uh, but as we finish up, uh, congratulations once again to UCF women's basketball. What a year for them! Congrats to Coach Abe and her staff. Um, job well done and you know what they're not done yet there are still so many things that this program has yet to achieve that are still in front of it and we appreciate being along for the ride for all of it congratulations on an amazing season that'll do it for us here at black and gold banneret uh for all of us here i am jeff sharon saying thank you for listening you can catch our podcast wherever you get your podcast if you're listening to us on an apple or android device and of course don't forget to follow us 
UCF Banner underscore SBN on Twitter. For Eric, for Bryson, for Kyle, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week.